Amen. You can have a seat. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, looking forward to jumping into the message. Uh, I've left my iPad over here, so I'm going to see if I can actually make my way over there and get it. Hey, no feedback. All right. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah, good. Yeah. It's been a good morning so far. Um, anybody enjoying the heat? It feels great in here, though. We, we, we had the AC pumping, uh, getting ready for just a warm morning. And luckily, uh, it's not been too, too warm in here, which is awesome. Apparently, Netflix activated. I was just watching One Tree Hill. <laughs> I guess that was the last thing my wife watched on here. <laughs> um, so here we go. This is echoing in my face. I don't know if that can not happen. Uh, hey, so uh, just First Peter. We're just calling it First Peter because we're going to be in the book of First Peter for uh, the rest of the summer. So uh, if you're just visiting with us and and just jumping in here uh, for the first time, then um, you're you're in for you're, you're it's it's a good it's good that you're here today because this is the start of the series. But we want to encourage you to keep coming back, keep jumping in, and and being a part because it's going to be a great time, I believe, as we dive kind of take a deep dive into the word. Um, I love, we've been doing these kind of topical series. We've been going through some, some different things and focusing on some, uh, I believe, some uh, different areas and different, um, different topics that I think God's laid on my heart that, that we needed to, uh, to project and to portray to, to the church. And so that's been great, and, and I love doing that, and I love opening God's word in that way. Uh, but what I really love to do is to dive into uh, an actual passage of scripture, to dive into some text and walk through it kind of line by line and break it down and talk about it and see what God's doing in those different areas. And, um, and so that if, you're, if, if you like that kind of thing, then, then you're in luck because that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. And so uh, that's going to be fantastic. I'm stalling because my Wi-Fi cut off. There we go. All right, now we're back in it. Here we go. Uh, now we can move along. I can stop stalling. Uh, so we are going to be in this series for about uh, nine or ten weeks. I think we have it slated for about um, uh, nine weeks or so. But uh, I'm, I'm nervous that's not going to be enough time. We'll, we'll see. I may have to. We may have to squish some stuff together. We may have to do some supplemental like blog posts or, or, or midweek videos or something to kind of uh, to push this along because we we do already have the rest of the year kind of planned out and. And, and of course, we want to want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to, to work and to move. But we'll kind of see how it goes. Uh, we do have it slated for again like nine or ten weeks. But just for perspective, uh, there's another church that I follow uh, that that it took them 36 weeks to make their way through First Peter. 36 weeks. That's that's all. That's a good portion of the year, and it took them quite a while to actually make their way through. So uh, I just want you to know that when we dig into the Word of God, uh, when we get past the language barrier that some of us experience, and you really get to to read the Word of God for content, not for completion. All right, because that's what, I know that's what some of us do when we read for content, not completion. Then the Holy Spirit can use that and can really transform our reading times. 
our times of being in the word, if you want to call it your quiet time or, or your Bible study or whatever you want to call it, he can transform your quiet times whenever we say, hey, we're going we're gonna to milk the word of God for all it's worth. We're going to actually jump in here and try to figure out exactly what he's saying and why he's saying it, who's he saying it to, and how does it apply to me. He can transform your quiet times. Not only that, I believe he can transform your understanding of who God is. I believe he can transform just your understanding of who God is and, and, and who we are in him. That's why we're taking this deep dive into First Peter for the entire summer. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, church. We need the Holy Spirit to step in and to do work in our lives. And we need to better understand both the word of God and the character of God, I believe, so that we can move forward in our journey with Christ. In fact, let me give you a few things you can do over the course of this series to get the most out of it. Let me encourage you uh, for, for a moment to, to try to get the most, the very most out of this teaching time, but then to leave and to take it to the next level in your homes, okay? Get in the word. Let, let, the, let, let God do a work in your soul. His word is truth. It's justice. It's holy. It's inspiring. It's consoling. God's word is practical and applicable, all right, it's eternally useful and wholly beneficial. God's word is hope, it's joy, it's peace, it's unity. God's word is alive. And I pray to God that I'm not the only exposure you're getting to God's word. So let's, let's go into this together. Let's, let's supplement our time here with more things out there, much more than we could get in these, you know, 45 minutes, uh, 30 minutes of, of teaching that we're going to have on Sunday morning. So, so here's some advice to get the most out of this series this summer. I'm going to give you a couple things. Uh, one, getting in the Word is obviously key. But for many of you, I would say get a version of the Bible that you can understand. Okay, if you can't understand it, you're not going to want to read it. That's a simple fact. If you don't know what it's, if, I, I was supposed to read this book, I was reminded of this talking to somebody in the coffee shop this week, I was supposed to read this book, I think in 10th grade, uh, called Crime and Punishment by Fyodor, Do, Fyodor Dostoevsky, and, uh, and, I, and I have to say this and kind of get this off my chest, um, I'm sorry Ms. Tucker, I did not read that book, it didn't happen, it was, it was this big, I'm not, maybe that big, I don't know, it was huge. Big book. Uh, I, I, I read a couple of pages and I was like, uh, I don't know about this. Um, also, I had a chip on my shoulder about being required to read things. I didn't kind of like that. Um, obviously, the, the writer was Russian and he was kind of like an existential Marxist in a way. Uh, so instead of getting into a position of not understanding what he was talking about, I, I went for something that I could understand. Spark notes. And, and with those cliff notes... I could actually understand it. I made my way pretty easily through the class. Ironically, I actually went back and read the book a couple years later, and it's, it's an incredible literary work of art. You should check it out sometime. But um, side note, uh, but if you don't feel like you can understand the Bible, you're not going to want to read it. You're not going to want to open it up. You're not going to want to jump in. And, and so uh, you're, you're just not going to try. So get a version that works for you. Um, I primarily use the ESV. It's the English Standard Version. You can check that out. The New American Standard is solid, but tends to be a little bit more academic. Um, check out the NIV or even the NLT. I'll even endorse, honestly, I'll even endorse the message if it gets you in the Word, okay? Uh, if you can't afford a physical copy, come see me. I'll put something in your hands. But, but in today's world, like, you can obviously just get them, you know, on your phone. Digital's fine. Bible.com. There's a Bible app. Uh, ESV.org. There's an ESV app. Like, you can, you know, check all of those out. 
but, but the word is readily available, so jump into it, get into it, and begin reading it. And in particular with the series, just start following along in First Peter. Just start reading ahead, you know, checking behind, seeing how it links up, seeing how it connects. Um, so so get, get a version you can read. Number two, try some supplemental sources. All right, now, I, I get this, I know this, I, I don't know many people that like the phrase Bible commentary. All right, if you used one, maybe you went to Bible college or seminary or something like that, and you used, the, uh, you, used you had to use multiple, multiple commentaries for, for papers and, and reports, and, and you had to do the citations that, that wanted to, you wanted to rip your eyes out, and, and you had to do all these things, so maybe you're kind of shell-shocked and you're not really interested in jumping back into a commentary. If you've never used one, then you just hear how devastatingly like, long and boring they are from you know, that first group of people, and you're not interested. Okay, I get that, but let me say this about commentaries. They are a means to a fantastic end, which is having a better grasp of, of, of understanding, a better grasp of the word, of understanding the word a little bit better. All right, they really, really do help. If you have a study Bible, you basically have a small commentary already built into your footnotes. I mean, it's essentially what that is. A commentary is essentially somebody or somebody's interpretation of, of the word as they read it, as they glean things from it, as the Holy Spirit hopefully speaks into their lives, and, and they're able to take those, those truths and those, those things and put them down on paper for us to read and for us to uh, learn a little bit from. So, so uh, jump into, g- grab a commentary if you can. They're very affordable. They can help. I actually bought two commentaries this week, or, well, not this week, but, well, I bought one this week and one last week, but uh, while preparing for the series, one was $7 and one was $3. I bought a commentary on Google Play Bookstore by the late great pastor and writer Charles Spurgeon for three bucks. Three bucks. Super easy. You can get it. It's on my phone. It's awesome. Try supplemental resources. They help. Google's fine, but be careful because there are some crazies out there. Um, third and most importantly, third and most importantly, you want to get the most out of the series, the most out of the word of God, pray. Every single time you open the word of God, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to move in you. Ask him to show you things that you can't see for yourself. Don't just rely on things that I say. Don't just rely on things that the commentaries or other books say. That's relying on man. Don't do that. Use it, but don't rely on it. Rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal the word to you in fresh ways. It doesn't matter how readable your Bible is and what secondary books you have. If you're not entering into the reading time with a humble heart, asking God to reveal himself to you through the living word, then you're just treading water. Honestly, you might as well be reading for completion rather than understanding if that's going to be the way you're going to approach the word. So why am I telling all this about reading the Bible instead of actually taking this time to read the Bible with you? Because I want to take your faith beyond these theater walls. I want your faith to go beyond these theater walls. I want your faith to be on display in your home and in your workplaces. I want you to get the most out of this series, and I, and I believe that the way for you to do that is to read along with me, to read ahead, to get into the Word, and, and here's a novel idea. Show up already having read the passage we're going to study, and be extra ready for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. We have a saying with all of our Sunday morning serve teams here at Legacy City. We have this saying where we say, show up expectant and serve with excellence. Church, let's show up expectant this summer. Let's show up expecting God to speak through his living Word. 
Let's allow the words in 1 Peter to penetrate our lives. My prayer is that we get excited, actually excited about reading the word alone in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever, and then sharing that word with friends. That we get excited about the word of God, that we, we get so excited that we start to memorize passages. We start to share with others what God's teaching us through that word. We begin to, to sit over lunch and over coffee, and, and instead of talking about the latest news and gossip around town or, or the, the latest political blunder or whatever's going on uh, in, in the world scope, instead of doing that, we're talking about the word of God. Let me tell you what God did in my life this week as I read this passage, how he changed my worldview. We began teaching it to our kids, talking about it over dinner. Church, you want to see a revival kick off in this church, in this building, and in this community? It starts right here. It starts with this. It starts with us being here and then taking it out there. That's where it begins. So let's do that this summer. All right. What time? Sweet. I've got to stop with these long intros. Okay. Here we go. If you didn't catch on, we're in First Peter. Go ahead and open up to that. Um, fair warning, if you're a note taker, uh, you're going you're gonna to have some trouble this morning because I have exactly like two or three slides and none of them have notes. They all have scripture. So uh, you're, gonna, you're just going to have to track with me a little bit. You're going to have to follow along and, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will just speak to you as we go. I love last week, if you were here last week, uh, our, our, our MC for the week, Heather, came down and, and, and at the very end, God had showed her something so different than, than what we were actually talking about. But it was like through the text and it was through the, the scripture that we read, uh, but, but somehow uh, the Holy Spirit spoke into her life and, and, and said something completely different, which is incredible because what, what God spoke to her last week is actually what we're talking about this week. So how incredible is it that, that God can speak? Even, even when we're listening and we're hearing something completely different, the Holy Spirit can still speak to us. So be open and ready for that. Um, we're in First Peter. Open up to um, the, the first chapter of Peter's first letter. So go ahead and get there. Uh, it's a short book in standard Bibles. It's probably only about three and a half pages. And, and a study Bible can be maybe six or, or nine. Um, but this book is a letter, just to give you a little little history as you're, as you're getting there. Uh, it's similar to many of the New Testament letters written by Paul, but it's not written to a specific church like, like Ephesians or Thessalonians written to specific churches. Instead, it was written to uh, a people at, at a lot of, in a lot of churches uh, kind of dispersed across Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. I know you knew that, but I just wanted to I just want to let you, I just want to help you out a little bit. Uh, we'll get more into the intended audience in a minute. Uh, we're going to dive into that because there's something to kind of talk about along with that. But uh, this letter was written by Peter, most likely from Rome. Uh, we base that assertion later on in the, in the book, whenever, in the letter, whenever he's talking about Babylon, which is uh, most likely referring to Rome at the time. It's widely held that it was written during the reign of Nero, uh, but before the Neronian persecution uh, that you may have learned about in school back in the day where Nero, you know, made it fun sport and hobby to basically kill Christians in uh, very macabre ways like put them in the Colosseum and let lions eat them or set them on fire or, you know, things along those lines. So this was right before that. So it's probably around 62, 63 AD. All right. I want to give you a few themes to watch out for as we walk through this book for the next couple of weeks and, and months. Uh, look for, look for a couple of themes. Look for suffering. That sounds fun, right? Suffering. But also look for faith and look for hope. 
because we're going to see these all throughout this book. In fact, we're titled the message today after the song that we sang right before I came up, Hope is Alive. That's the, the title of the message, Hope is Alive. Is anybody watching the NBA Finals? Oh, like one, two people? Sick. All right. Uh, so, so let me just fill you in. If you don't follow the NBA and you're not watching the NBA Finals right now, it's Golden State versus Cleveland. All right, which basically means it's Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green versus LeBron James. All those guys versus LeBron. Um, that's the way it works. So in an ESPN interview a few years back, I think it was like two, two years ago, uh, a reporter shared what Steph Curry said about his killer instinct. They were asking him about his killer instinct uh, when he's out on the court, how he just kind of shoots lights out and how he drains buckets and does everything. How, what is your killer? Where does that come from And when you're playing opposing teams? And he said, I want to make, this is a, such an astounding quote, I want to make them lose all hope. That's what he says about opposing teammates. He wants the, now he doesn't want to beat them all right, he he doesn't he doesn't want to just like like he could have gone even for I want to pulver I want to smash I want to I want to like destroy them no. He says he doesn't say scoreboard he says I want them to lose all hope. Man, what what uh, that is killer instinct is I mean I gotta say that's he wants them to become completely demoralized. So think about this, losing all hope. What do we mean by hope? Let's start with what we don't mean. Hope is not. All right, hope, hope is not uh, that a hope it doesn't rain for the first day in three weeks here in Greenwood. All right? Hope is not, uh, I hope I get a raise. Hope is not, you think you'll be offered the job? I hope so. Hope is not, do you think you'll get audited this year? I hope not. Those, that's not hope. All right, that's biting your nails, waiting to see how things play out, anticipating a chance that they will work out for you. That's not hope, church. That's wishful thinking. All right, that's, that's what that is. So what is hope then? Hope is, as one writer put it, uh, a hope. It's not a hope so, but a no so. Hope is this. Hope is the fall is only three months away, and I can't wait for the humidity to go away. Already, I'm there. I'm done with it. I'm not ashamed. That's, that's not a, that's not a I, I wish it would happen. That's, I know it's going to happen. I know so. In, in three months or so, the, the fall is going to move in. Right? I know it is. The perfect temperatures, the football, the camping, the wearing jeans without sweating is, is great times. All that's, all that's coming. Hope. Hope is knowing there's peace before you while circumstances currently wreck you. That's what hope is. All right? Hope is knowing deliverance is coming when your circumstances suggest it never will. Hope is knowing that although your tears are flowing, your laughter is coming. Come on, church, how many of us need hope in here this morning? How many of us need hope in our lives? Hope is always linked to faith. And, and true hope and real faith are always rooted in God. Hope, true hope, living, breathing hope, biblical hope is always grounded in God, in, in his ways, in his promises, and trusting God in his ways and his promises despite the circumstances that we might be in in our, in our current point in time. So just as endless, steamy summer rain, ugh, and what might feel like dead-end jobs and, and relationship troubles, family strife, 
just as all of those things threaten our hope-sos, there is something much darker in the universe that's always threatening our no-sos. In those times, we risk running out of hope. We risk losing all hope. We, we try to even protect ourselves from even having to have hope. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that has lost hope in a particular situation. I want to encourage you, church, don't let go of hope just yet. Don't lose hope just yet. The word has some things to say about hope, and, and, and I hope, I hope, that it will be encouraging to you this morning. The Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, uh, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. You see those words? Assurance, conviction, of that not yet seen, impossible to see, perhaps due to pain, perhaps due to, to loss, to suffering. We can't see the path ahead because it's blocked by pain and anguish, by turmoil and unforgiveness, by suffering or anger. It's hope that can get us through that. The author of, of Hebrews and, and Apostle Peter and, and First Peter, where I promise we're going to actually open up and read here in just a moment, uh, were writing to Christians under great suffering. The Apostle Peter is writing to his people who are being persecuted. They're, they're experiencing death. They're experiencing the loss of homes and property. They're, they're experiencing loved ones being taken away and, and, and enslaved and put into captivity. All right? they're, they're, they're feeling the weight of devastating hardships. In 1 Peter, the word suffering is mentioned 16 times. In this short book that only spans, again, in your Bibles, maybe three and a half pages, 16 times. This tells me that the greatest threat to your hope and mine is suffering. But church, Jesus has come to, to take care of that. And Peter is going to tell us here in these next passages, in, the next, in these next verses, in, in, in the whole letter, really, he's going to tell us that hope is alive. He's going to tell us that although your tears are flowing, your laughter is coming. So get ready. So let's read this introduction of 1 Peter and talk about it a little bit. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Whew, so much there. I told Jordan last night that I could probably just like do this entire message, this entire sermon just on these like two verses right here. And the morning's not over. We may just do that. I don't know. We'll see how he goes. All right. He begins by telling us his name, naturally, letting us know who it is that's writing the letter. He wants us to know that, that this is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, there is so much in a name. Peter's had a few names. All right. He was Simeon or, or Simon as a young man. That was, that was kind of his given name. That was what his name was at, at circumcision. And, and then Jesus comes along and gives him the name Cephas, which means a stone. Because he was going to be a stout defender of the faith. And Peter is what we call him because that's the, the Greek equivalent of Cephas. But how special was it that Peter got to write the words, Peter, apostle of Jesus Christ, instead of, if you know anything about Peter, instead of Peter who denied Jesus three times. Peter who claimed not to know the Messiah. Or Peter, the one who acted irrationally and was full of imperfections. Instead, he's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? Because he's been redeemed. 
He's been redeemed, church. He, he is the rock that Jesus declared him to be. He is an apostle, an authoritative messenger that lived and learned alongside Jesus Christ. He was sent out by Jesus himself to lead the charge. He's not what he once was, but is now fully becoming who God has intended him to be. I believe this morning that God is wanting me to tell someone here today that you are not who you once were. You are not who you once were. You do not have to carry the shame of what you once did, the anger from who you used to be, the pain from what happened to you back then. Somebody in here needs to know this morning that, that this, this Peter, this is Peter. This is Peter the mess up, all right? This is Peter who didn't get it, Peter who turned his back on Jesus Christ on the day of his crucifixion, who denied him three times. This Peter introduces himself via the permission and the guiding of the Holy Spirit who actually wrote this letter as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I believe that God wanted me to tell someone that you are not what you once were and you don't have to be what you used to be. You are now a new creation. You can be a new creation. You're no longer Tom the alcoholic. You're now Tom the child of God. You're no longer Jane the adulterer. You're now Jane the friend of Jesus. You're no longer Bill uh, the, the addict. You are now Bill the disciple of Christ. You're no longer Steve the convict. You're now Steve the joint heir with Jesus. You know, the world tries to pin these labels on us. Once you're this, you're this forever. The world tries to put these things on us. But this is the hope we have in Jesus, that when God looks at us, he doesn't see those labels. When God looks at us, he sees the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. It covers us. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, that you don't have to be who you once were. With Jesus Christ, you can be a new creation with a new name. God calls you blessed. He calls you redeemed. He calls you chosen, holy, and justified. If you know him, this is you. If you don't know him, this can be you. So we find out who is writing the letter. Peter. Peter's right. Now, who's he talking to? All right. It says, uh, to those who are elect exiles uh, of the dispersion. And then he lists a couple places there in Asia Minor, minor modern-day Turkey. If you have a pen, uh, go ahead and circle these two words that are together in verse 1. Elect exiles. It might read something a little bit different in your version. If you're, if you're not following along in ESV, it might say something a little bit different, like maybe resident aliens or, or foreigners or temporary residents or something along those lines. But go ahead and circle those or, or maybe write in elect exiles. Because those two words mean very different things and they're right next to each other. It's kind of an oxymoron, really. You are elect exiles. One could actually argue that, that the entire theme of this letter is actually found in those two words, elect Exiles. This is what Peter's going to come back to over and over and over again and hold these words to our attention. A great synonym that I read for this, uh, something that I loved and I, I kind of wrote it down, was um, what this might mean today is that we are refugee millionaires. That's what he calls the church in the midst of this culture. You're like refugee millionaires. Here's what this means. You are, at the same time, the most despised and looked down upon in all the world, and yet the richest and most blessed in Jesus Christ of anybody on the face of the planet. Think about that. 
You are refugees. This is not your home. So don't act like this is your home. We're exiles. We're aliens here. This is not our permanent residence. Don't act like the things of this world uh, are things that we need to put our hope in. And instead, we need to put our hope in Jesus. We, we don't need to live like the world in this way. Because even though we're rejected here, even though we're exiles, we're refugees, we belong somewhere. And God's moving us toward where we belong. In which case, we're going to be millionaires. We're going we're gonna to have struck the jackpot through Jesus Christ. Isn't this the kind of language that we need to hear today? I mean, they needed it 2,000 years ago, but it's still so relevant today. In this culture, in this time of division and, and, and this heavy drift toward godlessness in our world, I take solace in the fact that this is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. We are exiles until God calls us home. Other translations use other words I love. I said this a minute ago, but uh, they use other words like foreigners and aliens. Another one I love is sojourners. Church, why do we worry so much about this world when our hope is actually found in the eternal one? Let's live in that way. All right, so he goes on. So he's telling, he's telling you who he's, who he's writing, who, who's writing it and who he's writing to. All right, he's writing to elect exiles. And, and there's, we, we don't have really the time to get into that. There's, um, it's, it's, it's whether or not he's actually writing to a, a physical people, the Jewish Christians that are possibly dispersed, or whether or not he's writing to, uh, to Gentiles and, and, and specifically to us, the, the church, the body of Christ, that's, that's not just exiled from a specific nation, but actually exiled from heaven at the time. And so there's kind of this balance and battle going back and forth on who he's speaking to. And so, so we're going we're gonna to approach it from the standpoint, just so you know, as far as the, the rest of this uh, letter goes, we're going to approach it from the standpoint that he's speaking to us specifically as exiles from heaven in our current point in time. So uh, picking up in verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, the father, God operates again outside of time. He sees the past, present, future. He sees you. He knows you. Uh, all right. So we, we know that already. We've covered that a few weeks ago in, in another series that we did um, in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, we made it past the introduction. I was afraid we weren't going to make it there. Who am I? Who are you? We are the elect exiles. But then he goes on and he says this. He goes on and he says this. For knowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. We see the, the Trinity laid out right here before us. It's so beautiful. Uh, but what are really the, the heart of Peter's first words here? All right. He says, uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, what's he really saying to us? He's saying this, I believe, you are not forgotten. Maybe this is a truth you needed to hear here today. More than anything, you are not forgotten. C.S. Lewis writes this, and uh, he, he's got a, a work called Surprised by Joy. He wrote this, with God, the ultimate punishment, the ultimate despair is to be left utterly and absolutely outside, to be repelled, exiled, estranged, and finally and unspeakably ignored by God. Man, isn't that the horror behind suffering? That we're actually being ignored by God? That somehow God has forgotten us? I think for me, that's the real fear behind suffering. Like, suffering is what suffering is. It's, you know, whatever the situation. 
But the fear is that God somehow forgotten us. Peter's saying, no, God is not ignoring you. You're not forgotten. In fact, in fact, Peter just doesn't, doesn't say just God here. Uh, he says, but, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gives us the whole trinity in this verse. A great example of all three persons of God playing a role in our salvation. He's saying that the fullness of God himself is with you. You have his full heart and his full attention. Though suffering is shedding the blood of your body and your heart, Jesus shed his blood for you. How could he ever forget you? How could he ignore you? Hope is alive. Though your tears are flowing, laughter is coming. All right, we're going to try to make it through verse 5 this morning. I was shooting for 12, but that's not going to happen. Here we go. Uh, Verse 3 through 5. Blessed be God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, so he's introed this letter, right? Hey, it's me, Peter. Yep, the Peter that walked with Jesus and is the head of the church as we know it. That's, that's me. I'm Peter. I'm writing to you. Uh, you are in the general you know, area of, of, of modern-day Turkey, and you are an alien. Uh, you're in exile. You're, you know, whatever you want to call yourself. You're not of this world. He, he lets them, this is where we are. But then he launches into the content right away. Blessed be God, the, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just say how refreshing this is for, for me as a, as a pastor? Um, you see, there's an etiquette, kind of this unwritten rule uh, that, to be fair, I willingly follow, that when someone's going through a rough time, maybe a death in the family or a broken relationship or a loss of a job, that the pastor or the, or the spiritual leader just listens because most people don't want to hear, uh, if they're honest, that God is, is good in those moments. They don't want to hear that God is just in those moments. They don't want to hear that God is sovereign in their time of despair. And, and that's kind of the way it is, but that's exactly what Peter does right here. So we've established that Peter's writing to, to Gentiles, part, partially us, because we are foreigners of this world. However, the church in Asia Minor was also struggling with a lot of persecution. Much of the young Christian movement at that time was. They were being beaten and tortured, and loved ones are dying. Even Peter himself will be killed in Rome, crucified upside down, because uh, he didn't think that he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So he told them, turn me upside down. That's next level, church. That's what this guy did. All right, so, so these people are actually suffering. There's actually suffering going on. And again, he uses that word some 16 times throughout the letter. But Peter doesn't continue. He, he gives his intro, and then he, he doesn't continue with, with, I'm sorry this is happening to you. I don't understand why you're going through this. Peter begins with praise. He begins with praise. He, suffering is a part of the deal of his life. We might, as well, we might as well praise God during that too. But you are not forgotten. Hope is alive. All will be made right in the end. I love that he does that. I was thinking about this. uh, In the Lord of the Rings, I I thought that would connect with a few more people than than NBA. Um, (laughs) Samwise Gamgee says to to Gandalf, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, the characters are not important for this quote, so don't worry about that. Uh, But he says to Gandalf, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? One of my favorite lines from, from the whole trilogy is, everything sad 
going to come untrue. Peter's telling us, know this. The day is coming that everything sad you ever go through will become untrue. Hope is alive. It will become untrue because you're going to be new creation in Jesus Christ. Your tears that are flowing now, but laughter is coming. Don't worry. It's coming. So it goes on. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You've got to be born again. You want to know sure, for sure that your laughter is coming? When I say that, you know, the tears are, com- the tears are here, the tears are streaming, but laughter is coming. You want to be sure that, that the laughter is coming, then you have to be born again. And that phrase, it gets under the skin of so many people for some reason. I don't, I don't really know why. Uh, I think a lot of people believe that that phrase is somehow below them, uh, that maybe intellectually or, 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 or spiritually or personally or whatever. Um, but it was used by Jesus. And, and it's used right here by Peter. Peter says, hope is dead if you're not born again. Uh, to be born again indeed means that you are left. To not be born again means that you are left outside. All right, to, to, go, back to, uh, to go back to the quote from earlier, to, left, to be left utterly and absolutely outside, repelled, exiled, estranged, finally and unspeakably ignored by God. That's what to not be born again means. So unless you are born again, all you have is wishful thinking hope. All right, you have that hope so hope or, or hope not hope. Jesus describes it in John 3. To be born again means that you were to be born from above. It means God must do this in you. You need a new heart, not a better heart. You need a new life, not a better life. Externals aren't going to help. Religious activities, church attendance, tithing, going to, to, to small groups and being more charitable and being just really even a better moral person, those are all externals. But sin is internal. At its root, sin is not a behavioral problem. It's a heart problem, a spiritual problem. Lying is not the problem. Poor and bad temper, not the problem. You do not have a personal problem. You have a spiritual problem. For example, we are not, we're not liars because we lie. We lie because we are liars. The issue is soul deep, spiritually deep. All right? So something spiritually has to happen to us. We must be born again. We must be born again. How? Knowing that doing anything external, the things I said, behavior modification, religious actions, are not going to make you right with God, okay? Church, you are 0 for 10 when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Because Scripture says when you break one, you are zero for all. If you break one, you're, you're, you're zero for life. But you can become 10 for 10 right with God spiritually through faith in Jesus to do so. Faith that Jesus shed his blood for your sin was resurrected, declaring that he is who he says he is, God and Savior who defeats death, defeats the power of sin, forgives you for your sin, and, and, and he, he does that for us. And it's all followed by us hating sin and, and seeking to obey Jesus all the days of our life and seeking to experience God in his unmatched love. It says that uh, we're, we're made uh, to an, we're going to be given an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. The hope in verse 3 is now described as an inheritance in verse 4. 
is different than any inheritance that you could hope for here in this world. You can almost hear Jesus saying in this particular passage, if, if you can think back to it and you remember this passage, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven uh, because they're, they're perishable, because moth and rust can, des- rust can destroy them. All right, you can almost hear that being echoed here by Peter. He's saying that the inheritance that God has given you is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. By who? By God. He's saying while your enemies and those persecuting you can take away anything from you on earth, they cannot take away this inheritance. They cannot take away this hope. They cannot take away this salvation because God is in heaven guarding it for us. He's in heaven keeping it for you. Let them take whatever they want in this world because they can't take that because God is keeping it. It's unbelievable to know that As we're going through this life, this journey, persecution, struggles, strife, trials, God is keeping this for us in heaven. Not only that, he has caused you to be born again. He's keeping this inheritance for you. Not only is he keeping our inheritance, but God is guarding it himself. So incredible. The band's going to come back up, and we're going to worship some more before we go here this morning. But I want to just ask this, why does he start the letter this way? Why does he start this letter like this? I don't, why didn't he start by saying, I've heard you're struggling and suffering, and I want to speak to that. That's what we would expect a pastor to do today. That's what we would expect a spiritual leader that we look up to to, to, to immediately. I mean, I mean, when we come into to church and we've had a rough week and we've posted that rough, rough week on Facebook, we expect somebody to say, hey, I saw that you've had a rough week. I, I, I notice that you're struggling with something. I notice that something's going on. We, we expect that, right? So why does Peter do this? He doesn't speak to their suffering right away. Instead, he starts with this. Why? Some might say the reason that he does this is because Peter's primary intention in writing this letter is to build character in the hearers and the readers. Because, you see, Peter knows, like, like many have known throughout the ages, that the way you form character in people is by giving them a narrative vision of life. In other words, if you put something beautiful in front of them, if you put a beautiful vision and a beautiful promise in front of somebody, that transforms people and builds character in them that will compel them to persevere. So what he's doing, he's painting a very beautiful picture of our God and Father and the sacrifice that Jesus made and how we have hope in that, how we have an inheritance in that. He's guarding that and keeping that for us. Peter knows this, so he starts off with the most beautiful, rich, hope-filled version of salvation in the gospel imaginable because he knows that's what his people need. And that's what's going to transform them. If you put a beautiful vision and a beautiful promise in front of someone, that transforms people and builds character in them. We have that promise set before us today. We have that beautiful promise of hope set before us today, and that should transform us. That should make us want to change. That should make us want to want to be something better and different and, and move toward God in that way. That's the hope that's going to sustain us because hope is alive. Though your tears are flowing, laughter is coming, and we're going to pick 
this up, this, this particular passage back up again next week, and we're going to go a little bit more into hope and trials as Peter dives into it a little bit more. Let me pray over us, and we're going to worship some more during this next worship set. Feel free to move over to the communion area and take communion with, by yourself or with your family if you choose to do so. If you need somebody to pray with you, uh, I'm going to be in that middle area back there. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you a little bit. And, um, and we're just going to worship together. It's going to be, be a beautiful time. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your servant, Peter. The rock of the church that he was. The man of God that he became. The example that he gets to set before us through his letters. And we thank you for the hope that you've set before us the hope for an eternity with you, the hope of an inheritance that you're guarding on our behalf that will not rust, will not fade, will not change with time. Lord, I pray that you would be in this time as, as we continue to worship, as we, as we try to digest a little bit of what your word says. I pray that we would leave these walls, we would go back out, and we would, we would read the word some more. We would dive into it a little bit deeper, and we would try to come to a better understanding of who you are and who we are in you. Bless these words that we're going to sing. May they be a beautiful sound to your ear. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray.